A reading from John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and knowing that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Anticipation can be consuming. Anticipating something, looking forward to it or not looking forward to it, can be all-absorbing. So think back to when you were a little kid and you had your first loose tooth, and your dad said to you, I'll take care of that for you. (laughs) And he tied some dental floss around it and put the other end to the door handle, and he was getting ready to slam the door. And that anticipation, the fear of what that was going to feel like and the blood that you imagined gushing out of your face, that was far worse, far, far worse than the actual event, right? It was over in a moment, but the anticipation of that, the anticipation of that was consuming, looking ahead to something frightful or tragic or grievous, that anticipation can be consuming. Think about what it's like to look forward to something more serious, like surgery, or something more grievous, like the funeral of a beloved. That anticipation can take your whole person over. It can make it so that you can't think about anything else, so that you are distracted and anxious. You cannot focus. Your thoughts are absorbed. Anticipation like that can be consuming. But there's anticipation that works in the other direction as well, when you're looking forward to something wonderful, when you're looking forward to a vacation. What happens under those circumstances is often that we sort of check out (laughs) of life. We're not distracted with anxiety, but we're distracted with thoughts of how wonderful that will be. Looking forward to a vacation, looking forward to the birth of a child, looking forward to a new opportunity, a new start. Looking forward can be consuming. 
anticipation can be consuming. It works both ways. It can distract us with anxiety or it can distract us so that we just check out altogether with what's in front of us. Jesus was anticipating a lot on this night, the night in which he was betrayed. He was anticipating good things and bad things, things that he was looking forward to and things that he was dreading, things that made his soul troubled. He was, of course, looking forward, not joyfully, but anticipating betrayal, knowing that there was someone at the table with him there who would hand him over, who had sold him for a mere 30 pieces of silver. He was anticipating that moment in the garden when all who loved him, who said they would follow him to the end, fled. He was anticipating that moment when Peter, who was so zealous for everything Jesus did and taught, when Peter denies knowing him altogether. He was anticipating the scorn and the mockery, the lies, the abuse, the violence, being struck and spit upon and tortured. He was anticipating having nails driven through his hands and his feet. He was anticipating those most dreadful moments, I think some of the worst moments, when he was hanging on the cross and they tried to say that he wasn't the Son of God. If you were the Son of God, you would come down from there. He was anticipating that moment when he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was anticipating that last breath after he had said that it was all finished. His soul was troubled. Jesus says it several times, my soul is troubled. He said it on Sunday, my soul is troubled, but what shall I say? Shall I ask that God take away this cup from me? Shall I ask that he spare me this trouble because he is doing it for love? That anticipation could have made him anxious. It could have distracted him, made him unable to concentrate, but it did not. It did not. Neither did the anticipation of something far better. The anticipation of a joyous return to his father. You heard it in our lesson. The father had given all things into his hands and he had come from God and was going back to God. Imagine that, anticipating that. After being humiliated and making himself in the form of a servant, he was going to be raised to the right hand of his father. His glory and his crown would be restored. All joy would be his. Eternal joy. The joy of his father. The joy of having accomplished what he set out to accomplish. The joy of having loved to the end. All of that would be his. That would be incredibly distracting. The anticipation of that joy. It would make anyone less than Jesus, anyone like you or me, just sort of check out. We would look forward to it so desperately that we couldn't concentrate on what was in front of us. Anticipation leads to anxiety or checking out, but not for Jesus. Not for Jesus. Notice what happens tonight. Realizing that Judas Iscariot was going to betray him, and also that he was going back to his father, what did he do? Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. He was not so beset with anxiety or forward thinking about where he was going that he could not kneel down before his disciples 
and serve them yet again. He was not so filled with trouble or thoughts of a future and a hope that he could not look at his disciples and see what he could do for them right now in this very moment. He didn't go off into a corner to sulk or to be alone with his thoughts, but he washed his disciples' feet. It's impossible to describe just how amazing this is. It's impossible to capture it. There is no analogy. There is no comparison that is fitting. It is not like he is just some person, some random stranger doing an act of kindness for some other stranger. Something is turned upside down in this moment when Jesus takes that towel and wraps it around his waist and washes his disciples' feet. Something as dramatic as a master kneeling before his servants. Foot washing belonged to the servants. That's what they did for their masters. But here, the master is washing his servants' feet. And even more, that picture doesn't cut it because this is not just some ordinary master, not just a teacher, but the Son of God, the creator of the entire universe, is here in flesh and blood, kneeling before his sinful disciples who are about to abandon him. There he is, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who has given them every good thing, and there he is still, giving them good things, kneeling before them and washing their feet. It's unimaginable. How could that be? What is man that you are mindful of him? That's what the psalmist says. And the son of man that you care for him. What are these disciples that he should kneel before them and wash their feet? Peter wanted to stop it, kind of like how John the Baptist wanted to prevent Jesus from being baptized. He wanted to be baptized by Jesus. Peter wanted to stop it, and he wanted to stop it because he wanted to protect the dignity of Jesus. That's beneath you, he thought. It's beneath you, master, teacher, to wash my feet, the feet of your disciple. But Peter doesn't realize he still has yet to learn an amazing lesson that we spend our whole lives learning, and it is this. The dignity of Jesus, his glory, is bound up not in being served, but in serving. His dignity is bound up in kneeling before his disciples. That is where he shows his glory, in anticipation of the greater glory that he will show as he is nailed to the cross. Peter shouldn't try to protect the dignity of Jesus because he doesn't know what it is. Here Jesus shows him, this is what I am for, to serve you and to love you, and to lay down my life for you. Jesus tells Peter that he needs it. You need me to wash your feet. If you're not washed by me, then you have no share in my kingdom. And Peter, in typical Petrine fashion, swings to the opposite extreme. Well, if you're going to wash my feet, you've got to wash the rest of me as well. I need all of it. Give me more of it. And that's a good, good impulse. When the Lord of glory is offering you something good, you should want every last bit of what he is giving to you. But Jesus says, no, you don't need me to wash your head and your hands as well because they are already clean. He has already received, Peter has already received the greater portion from Jesus. He has heard his word. He has heard his promises. 
He has heard that the forgiveness of sins belongs to him through the blood of Jesus. He has heard the Holy Spirit will be coming to comfort and strengthen him to the end. He has already received everything he needs. He is already clean by faith. He trusts in Jesus. And so he does not need to be washed from head to toe. He just needs to have his feet polished up a bit. He needs his feet to be washed because they've grown dirty along the way and they will grow dirty yet again But he is clean. He is clean because Christ has washed him. You are clean. You have already been washed from head to toe, most vividly in baptism, when the water was poured on you with God's word and all your sins were taken away, laid on Jesus, nailed to the cross, sent away forever. You were washed and you were made clean. And note this. Not by some stranger doing you just some random act of kindness. You were not washed or made clean by somebody who owed it to you. You were not even washed and made clean by a master serving his servants. But you were washed and made clean by the creator of the heavens and the earth. The very son of God himself showed up in church on that morning when you were baptized. And he himself made you clean. He knelt before you as if he were having a towel wrapped around his waist and he washed you clean, forgiving all your sins, giving you his own spirit, making you children of God. You are clean. Your feet will get dirty yet as you make your way through this world and so you need to be polished up every now and again. And so what does Christ do for you but pour out his blood again and again for you more and more? For you. Not anew on the cross, not sacrificing again his body and blood for you, but the gifts that were won on the cross delivered to you again and again for the forgiveness of your sins to make you clean again. On this night of his betrayal, we see Jesus' service writ large, not just washing the disciples' feet, but handing over to them his very body and blood, giving himself entirely to his disciples, to his creatures, so that their joy could be complete, so that they could share in his joy, so that they could share in his dignity, his dignity which is manifest in his service of them, so that they could share in his glory, his glory which was shown when he was lifted up on the cross to forgive the sins of the world. You have been washed and made clean, so do not hold Jesus at arm's length, like Peter. Don't say to Jesus, that's beneath you. Don't condescend to help me. That's what he's here for. Don't think that you don't need it. Your feet are dirty. Don't think that you don't need it. Don't hold him at arm's length, but let him give you what he means to give you. Do not think that you need something more, as Peter did, something more than what he has given to you. Everything that he gives you is just what you need. The portion that he pours out for you is just what you need. And here, in this place, when it is his body and blood, it is so profoundly abundant. It is beyond imagination. It is the greatest treasure in heaven and on earth. And it is everything that you need. Do not think that you need something more or something else. That is what you need. What he gives to you, that portion 
also includes this new command. That's why tonight is called Maundy Thursday. It comes from a word that means command. He gives a new command that you love one another as he has loved you. Amazing that not only does he show his dignity in serving you, but then he gets you to share in his dignity when you serve one another, to share in his glory when you love one another. When you put others before you, when you seek the good of another, when you love them to the end, you share in the glory of Jesus. He gives you this new command, and we often think that commands are oppressive. But his command is not burdensome. It is not a heavy weight. The weight has been carried by him. His, his command is easy, just as his yoke is easy and his burden is light because he has already carried the weight of everything that you owe to the cross. Every last sin, every last bit of guilt, every last bit of grief and sorrow, he has already carried away. All that is left for you is to share in his glory. Rejoice and give him glory always. Amen.